Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good? No, that was terrible. Oh, man, I gave you guys like a lead up, head start and everything a little while ago to talk. Are we good? We're good. All right. All right. You got to be with me. Um, I'll say it until you, you start working it back to me, but man, I go shorter the louder you are, okay? So um, I just need you to, just to help me a little bit, and uh, it's going to be a good day. I, uh, I am so thankful for all that you just heard that's coming up. I mean, tonight starts couple to couple. These four weeks are going to make a, a difference in some relationships, and uh, we're coming. We're going to have food. We're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. We may cry. Who knows? But uh, it's going to be four weeks that I believe will transform some marriages and transform some relationships. And so if you haven't registered, you can, you can do that uh, now. There's still time for a few more minutes, and uh, you can be a part of that. It's just going to be a great time. We've got, I think, over 50 couples now registered to be here in person, and I'm excited about what these four weeks will be. And then in the seat back in front of you are some invite tickets. They look like little movie tickets, movie stuff. That's not just for you to look at. We want you to take those this week and invite some people to come and be with you for At The Movies starting next week. It is a high invite series and a lot of fun, but it's not just fun. It is a way for you to get friends and family members to come and to be with you for At The Movies. But man, it's, March is going to be a ton of fun it's a hustle, and I'm excited about all that I believe God's going to do. It's crazy. It's already March. Does anybody else feel like we just watched the ball drop like 12 hours ago? I mean, it feels like it was just a few minutes ago almost. But man, I'm, I'm thankful that as we move through this year, God is with us and God is directing us and all that we've seen God do. So many of you, you have come to our church since the ball dropped. And I've talked to you in the last two or three Sundays, and you've talked about you know, you just felt like this was the year to kind of get involved in church and to get into community and relationship with other people. And so I'm thankful that you've made that decision, and I'm thankful that God led you here. And others of you, you've been here for a lot of years that the ball dropped, and, and we're thankful you're here too. But I am thankful for what God is doing in our church right now and in this season. And, uh, and I just want you to know that Corey and I love you. If today's your first time, not only do we love you, you're going to get a Chick-fil-A gift card you can't use for 24 more hours. But we love you so much that we're giving you a gift you can't use today. And, um, but we do love you. And, and if, you're, if this is your 800th time to be here, like you don't get a gift. You just get our love. But we love you and we're thankful for you. The other thing that I love is, is I love winning, if we're being honest. I am very competitive. Uh, I used to play baseball. Uh, now I play church softball, and uh, you take that for what it's worth. I really only play about two games a year on the church softball team, which I think kicks off next week if you're looking for a, a great uh, G group to be a part of. I think there's still some, some time to join that G group, but I, I love softball. I love to win. I love to compete. I, I love to beat you to the back door at the end of the day uh, just to shake your hand, and I always assume, this is, I'm just being honest, this confession today, I always assume if you beat me there, you left early, and God's going to judge you for that. Um, but I love to be there and, and to shake your hand and to say thanks for coming. And because I, I love when we have the opportunity to see one another and to greet one another. But, but honestly, while I'm shaking your hand, I'm thinking I beat you. I beat you here and I'm excited that I beat you here. I, I think about sports and I think about all the things that, that happen with competition. I think about people that choose to do things to try to win competition. Now, I, if you know anything about me, I have... I have really several loves in my life. My wife, Corey, uh, outside of my relationship with Jesus, my, my wife, Corey, is the greatest love of my life. I have four kids. I love all of them equally, no matter what they tell you. Uh, I love them very, very much. 
I love Mexican food. Uh, it is a passion of mine. I love it so much. And then I love Tennessee football, and I love North Carolina basketball. And Tennessee football, I acquired by falling in love with a girl from Knoxville. Okay, so that was, I mean, I got into that. But I was born on a Tuesday, and I had a North Carolina pacifier in my mouth before I went to sleep Tuesday night, okay? So if you know anything about sports, you know last night, I mean, we absolutely wrecked Coach K's celebration, and I had revival in my house is really what I had, and, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And that's really, let's just pray. That's all we need to talk about today. <laughs> No, no, no. I do. I love competition. And so I love sports and people want to win. And so they do whatever they can to win. You think about swimmers. They don't wear swimming trunks like I wear, right? They wear skin tight uniforms, like just body suits to be able to glide through the water. And so that's what they can shave some time off of whatever race that is that they're swimming. And that's, that's what they do to win. And you think about other athletes and the things that they try to do to win, you know, runners and distance runners and, and, and triathletes, like they eat certain foods to try to make sure that their body is in the perfect condition to run the race or to, to bike the race or to swim the race or whatever it is that they're going to do. I mean, you, you see this kind of uh, preparation because they want to be prepared to win. The, the tricky part is when you start to see athletes and other individuals kind of start to cut corners, Right. I don't want to bring up a sore spot for any baseball fans because I know we don't have baseball right now in the major league level, but you know when you start to see performance-enhancing drugs and steroids and all of the various things that have happened over the last 20, 30 years, and maybe before that, but that we've been aware of, as players have tried to cut a corner to get an advantage so that they could win against competition, you know, maybe it wasn't through their own natural efforts. You see NASCAR drivers and you see that they're, you know, they're changing the shape of their car and they're adding weights and different things in various times to try to get just a little bit of an advantage, just to shave a little time off of that lap or to try to beat somebody in a time trial. You see a high school student who maybe borrows a friend's copy of the homework or the test just to get a little advantage on the test when it comes, or maybe now with all the devices they've got, they get all kinds of different, I'm assuming this is not happening in anybody else's house but ours, but just asking Alexa for the answers on homework. I I don't really know. Um, Our neighbors do that, and we just hear it through the walls. And, you know, sales associates who leave their company and maybe take some, some warm leads with them, some clients with them, even though there's a policy that they're not supposed to do that. Just trying to find an advantage, trying to win and to seek an advantage wherever they can. What you don't often hear about is the story where if I'm competing with you, I give you the advantage. You don't often hear about the kinds of stories where one competitor gives the advantage to the other competitor. But I want us to read a story today that actually connects to what we talked about last week. So last week we talked about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. We talked about he was in this cave, he was on the run, and I alluded to the fact, and if you, if you are familiar with this text of scripture, you, you kind of already knew what was there, but I alluded to the fact that he had just experienced great victory, and I want us to look at that victory today. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can go now or at the end of our service to the Information Center. We would love to give you a Bible today for free. Or you can use an app, the Uversion Bible app is one that we love here that we use for a lot of different reasons. But 1 Kings chapter 18, this is the story of the prophet Elijah, and he's in a showdown with 450 prophets of Baal and about 400 prophets of Asherah. And so he is the lone representative in this case of Jehovah God. And so the outcome will really determine kind of the faith allegiance of so many people in the kingdom at that time. And so Elijah calls for two bulls to to be brought to uh, him and to this scene here. And then he gives the other prophets the first choice. 
He allows them to even go first and to call down fire to burn up the bull, to burn up the sacrifice. And so he gives them the first choice. And, and here's, listen, I'll tell you, I love this story for a lot of reasons. But one is like, it is a place you see sarcasm in the Bible. It's a spiritual gift, whether it's called that or not. Because Elijah is standing there and he's like, well, maybe your God's asleep. Call louder. <laughs> you know, maybe he, he had to go take a nap. Maybe he went to the restroom. Like, why don't you just try to do something to get his attention? And they are screaming and yelling and they're, they're cutting themselves and they're coming up with everything that they can to try to get the attention of their gods. And nothing happens. And so then it's Elijah's turn. And when Elijah steps to the forefront here, what he does is he repairs and rebuilds the altar that they had torn apart trying to get the attention of their gods. And then he digs trenches around that altar and he has them fill those trenches with jars of water over and over and over. Not just to fill the trenches with water, but actually to take the sacrifice that's been laid up on the altar and to pour water over that sacrifice. Now, if you know anything about, you know, fire, water's not good for it. And so it's like we're stacking the odds against what God's going to be able to do here. And then at the end, when all the preparation has been done, after he's poured the water over, this is what he prays in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 36. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that his, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The deck was stacked against God so much by this prophet who, I mean, there's so much confidence in him that God can do what he's about to ask God to do, that he does everything he can to kind of show, like, this is not some novelty act. This is not some circus show. I'm not just going to, like, do the right potion. I'm not going to call down the right magic trick. Like, I'm setting the stage here. And he takes all of his time in preparation to set God up so that when God actually demonstrates his power and his authority, that there is no other choice but for those in attendance to worship God. I once heard a man say, if God is anything... He's efficient. So why add the trenches filled with water? Why rebuild the altar? It was going to be burnt up anyway. Why pour water over the sacrifice if it was going to be burnt up anyway? Well, I think it's because we have been invited to be a part of the process that God is choosing to use to reveal himself to the world. You might even say it like this. God is responsible for the result I am responsible for my effort to set God up if I want to be a part of the story. God is responsible for the result. We, we say it around here a little bit different. We say like, we, we, we know that it depends on God. We pray as if it completely depends on God, but we work as if it depends on us. We're going to work hard. We're going to do everything that we can to make sure that we are in a position for God to do what only God can do and to receive that and to demonstrate God's power to people in our lives. And so God is ultimately responsible for the results, but I'm responsible for my effort to set God up if I want to be a part of the story. And so in this story, we see that that's what the prophet Elijah does. I mean, he, he rebuilds the altar and lays the, the sacrifice up there and then digs the trench and pours the water, pours the water, pours the water. Like there's no choice except for God to intervene and sure enough, he does. And the people respond in much the way that you would assume that they would. The Lord, he is God. 
the Lord, he is God. He dug some ditches. He dug some ditches before God had done anything. There's another story that's really similar, not too far from this passage of Scripture. It's in 2 Kings chapter 3. Maybe you want to go there with your Bible. You can flip. If you've got a printed Bible, you can just flip a few pages past where we were in 1 Kings 18. We're going to go to the next book of 2 Kings, and we're going to look at a different guy. This is not Elijah. This is a guy by the name of Elisha. This is his apprentice. And in this story, we see that the kings of Israel and Judah and Edom, they set out together to overthrow the king of Moab. And they get out with their armies, and they go out into the middle of the desert, and they're kind of on the march. They're, they're headed towards battle in the middle of a drought. And they get out in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, and they run out of water. They brought some water with them for themselves and for their, their horses and for their animals that they're going to use in battle. And they run out of water in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, on the way to a battle. And they did what many of us do in similar situations. They started to talk to themselves and they said to one another, did God bring us out here to kill us? Did God bring us out here to kill us? Like what in the world was God thinking to get us to this place? Eventually they called for the prophet of God, the the guy that I was talking about earlier, Elisha. This was the apprentice of Elijah. And as they're trying to figure out, is there any prophet of God left in all of the nation They said, yeah, 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 there's this guy named Elisha. And this is how he's described in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? And an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. In no part of this description of Elisha is he mentioned as a man of great power, of great authority. You know what he's described as? A servant. He's described as someone who faithfully did what they were asked to do. As he was serving the prophet Elijah, he was a man who just poured water on the hands of the man of God, of the prophet, the man he was serving. And let me just say to you, and this is not, this is not an advertisement, but like, I think we're all called to serve. Jesus himself, the son of God, came to earth and he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And so if you don't have a place in your life that you are serving other people on a regular basis, I think the call of God to all of us is that we find that kind of place. That we find a way to use our talents and our abilities to get involved in what God is trying to do in and through our lives for the sake of other people. We'd love to have you do that here, but if not here, find a place on your job, in your neighborhood, in the community. Find a place, find a way to serve Today's the first step of Discovery Track. And one of the steps in Discovery Track is for you to learn your purpose and to learn your gifts and your talents and your abilities so that you can have that opportunity to take next steps into serving here on the G Team. But if it's not here, I'm telling you, I believe we're all called to serve. When they were looking for a man of God, when they were looking for someone to to inquire of the Lord, they said, hey, there's this guy that I know. His name is Elisha. And he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He used to serve. There's something about his character, something about his nature that's not just about him, but I see faithfulness in him. And I love that description. And so Elisha says, hey, let's get a harpist and bring him here. And this is what Elisha says, beginning in verse 16. He said, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. 
This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Now it's easy for us to read a story like this and to see that, like, this is God at work. Like, this is surely God. This is God accomplishing something great. This is God doing something that we can't do. But I think when we, when we, when we do that, sometimes we miss God's interaction with our lives. God's intervention in our stories. So maybe you haven't been in a desert recently where there was no water and you ran out of water on the way to battle. Maybe that doesn't feel like something that you can relate to. But when was the last time you found yourself in a set of circumstances on a Thursday or on a Tuesday or in 2021 or 2018 or on your job or in your marriage or in your spiritual journey where you were like, you just felt like I got nothing left. I don't have anything left to give. I'm dry. I'm thirsty. I've tried everything I know to do and I don't have the answer and I don't know where to find the answer. And then all of the sudden, God intervenes. God does something. Isn't that a special story? Isn't that a powerful thing? But maybe you find yourself there right now. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, you have two choices. One, you can sit and wait on God to do something. And I believe that he can. I believe that he does. So many different times, God just intervenes in our circumstances. He just meets the need that we have. But there's another choice, and it kind of comes from what we see in this story. It's that we start moving, anticipating what God will do. Now, in this story, it's very specifically obedience. Because the man of God said to them, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to start digging ditches in the desert, which, by the way, makes no sense. Not only does it make no sense to dig ditches in the desert because there's not going to be water in the middle of a desert, it also doesn't make sense for you to do that kind of manual labor when you don't have any water to drink because you're about to get tired. Anybody ever dug a ditch? I dug about a half of one and I gave up, right? I mean, it was like, I'm done. I don't, this is a hole and I mean, it's probably deep enough. I don't know what we're going to use it for, but this is probably deep enough. Like, you don't have any water to drink, much less to fill the ditch. Like, I'm, I, I don't know what God is asking of them except obedience in the midst of circumstances that might not otherwise call for it. Here, here's the other thing about this story that always amazes me. We are a people of instant gratification, are we not? Like, we want it, and we want it now. No kidding. There are people that I know, they actually live in my house. I'm not going to tell you who. I'm, I'm definitely not going to tell you that I'm married to. I, I would never, ever do that. But Amazon has spoiled us, hasn't it? Like if you go to any other website, it's going to save you $4, but it's going to take four days to get It's like four days. Where's it coming from? The moon? I mean, we can get groceries today delivered to, we can get stuff from China tomorrow. Like I don't understand how it's going to take that long. We're people of instant gratification. But did you catch it when we read the story? They dug the ditches and you know what they did? They went to sleep in a desert where there was still no water. It was just a desert filled with ditches that were empty. You know when the water appeared? When they woke up. How often do we ask God to meet our need 
right now. Right now. And maybe God asked us, hey, I want you to start digging some ditches. And we're like, okay, I'll dig ditches. But like, as soon as I do, like, you owe me. <laughs> I mean, I was obedient. I stood up to whatever. I didn't give in to whatever. Like, I need something in return for the obedience that you're asking of me. And yet these people had to be obedient. They had to dig a bunch of ditches in the desert with no water to drink even when they got tired. And they had to go to bed still thirsty. And yet when they woke up, God's provision was right before them. There's so many places in Scripture that show us that same kind of rhythm. I mean, every single day as the children of Israel are walking around in their own desert experience, before they've gotten to the promised land, but after they've come out of captivity, they have to wake up every single day trusting that God's provision will be there on that morning. They were hungry They hadn't gotten very far out of slavery when they started grumbling and complaining. They were just three days into their newfound freedom, and they are grumbling and complaining to one another. I'm so hungry. My stomach is rumbling. Like, let's go back. Even back there, we had all the food that we could want, pots of meat to eat. Let's go back to the... They were willing to give up freedom for convenience. And yet God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to provide everything that you need, but you got to trust me. I'm not going to give you like enough at the beginning of the week for the whole week. I'm going to make you trust me every single day. That is ultimately what the obedience in a relationship with God looks like. You can't just choose now, like I'm going to be a person of obedience and hope that that one phrase carries you for the rest of your life. You have to wake up tomorrow and choose to be obedient. And even if you are the most obedient person on the planet tomorrow, you know what you got to do on Tuesday? You got to wake up and choose to be obedient on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, and then in 2023, and 2025, and 2030, and 20... Like, you have to choose every single day to dig ditches that don't make sense in the middle of deserts you don't want to be in, And go to bed trusting that if God is who he says he is, he will be enough and he will do what he said he would do when you wake up tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning, every day. Every single day we get to experience the new faithfulness and provision of God. And so here's the question for me. I'm going to ask it of me. I won't ask it of you, but perhaps you might ask it of yourself. Am I willing to dig ditches before he does the work? Am I willing to be obedient to God before I see his provision? Before I see his hand, before I see his power, before I see his strength? Am I willing to dig ditches that don't seem to make sense in the middle of a desert, even when I'm tired, even when I'm thirsty, in the middle of a drought, before he does the work. There's several other stories. The priest had to step down into the water before it was rolled back. Like Moses had to declare God's power and his strength before God was providing for them. So many times we move first to show God our faith and our trust in him. So where do you need to dig some ditches? Where is it that you need to trust God in full obedience? In your marriage? On your job? With your kids? 
in your relationship with God, where are some ditches that you need to dig to be more obedient than you have been? Where is there just a little bit of compromise that you need to get rid of? Where is there just a lack of full and complete trust in God? Where does our faith extend to our own abilities and end right there so that it's not actually faith in a God who can be more than enough? And I don't even know if this is articulated the best way, but here's the thing that's been stirring in my heart. Where might God be waiting on me? Like, where is God more than enough for my circumstances, but he's just waiting on me to start digging so that he can pour out his blessing in my life? So he can pour out provision that I'm lacking and seeking. Maybe you've got a friend or a family member who doesn't know God. Salvation is the work of God. I can't save them. You can't save them. Salvation is absolutely the work of God. But your invitation to them is the ditch. Like your conversation when you're taking the trash can down tonight before the trash runs tomorrow, it's the ditch. You're digging. You're working as if it depends on you, trusting and believing that it absolutely depends on God. Maybe restoration in your marriage is the work of God. Like it's absolutely the supernatural work of God because in your marriage there's some stuff that's broken. You're in a drought. You're in a desert season. You're not really sure how you're going to make it. Couple to couple is the ditch. Counseling is the ditch. It's the work that you do, trusting and believing that God will do the work. But it's just day by day, getting up to be obedient that day, to be faithful that day, to trust that day. Every Sunday night for the next four weeks. Every Tuesday at four o'clock when your counseling session is scheduled. It's just showing up to dig ditches every single time you're presented with the opportunity to be as obedient as you know how to be and trust that God will do the work. Supernatural provision financially is the work. You are at the end of yourself. You've worked all the overtime they'll let you work. You've cut everything you know to cut. You've tried everything that you know to do. But budgeting is the ditch. Like making hard decisions, being faithful, obedient every single day, every single week, every single month. That's the ditch. Tithing is the ditch. Like it's just figuring out how can I be more obedient to God, trusting that he will do the work. Healing is the work of God. The doctors told you, you're not healthy. There's something wrong. Healing is the work of God. But exercise might be the ditch. Eating right might be the ditch. Taking your medicine, even though you hate it, might be the ditch. Going to the doctor, not avoiding the doctor, might be the ditch. Where can I be more obedient, trusting God to do what only God can do? As if it depends on me, but knowing it depends on Him. Where can I dig ditches? What can I do right now while I wait on God to do what only God can do? What can I do right now, today? How obedient can I be today? How faithful can I be today? How hard can I work today? It depends on Him. 
But as if it depended on me, what can I do to honor God and speak trust and speak faith and speak hope in him, to him, by my obedience? Where do you need to dig some ditches? I don't know. But I believe right now, maybe God is speaking to you. We talked about God's voice last week. Maybe God is speaking to you right now. What are the ditches that you need to dig? Asking God to do what only God can do. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. But before we do, I want to give you an opportunity just to respond, to reflect on what God's been speaking to us. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Just a personal response to the word of God today. In my life and in yours. Nobody's looking around if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me... I need to accept him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I need to make that first step. I need to be obedient in trusting him for my salvation, to forgive my sins and lead my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Several hands today in this service. If you're watching online, you're making that decision, drop that in the chat. Let us know you're making that decision today. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not salvation. But I need to dig some ditches. There's some work I need to do. I know God's going to do the ultimate work, but I've got some work I need to do in one or more areas of my life. And I want to get to work starting right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Tons of hands. Tons of hands. You're not alone today. My hand's lifted too. God, I thank you today for every person in this room and every person watching online every person who may be listening back at some point through our podcast or YouTube channel. God, your word is active, it's alive, it's cutting into our hearts and our lives today, speaking to us. And so Lord, right now I pray for every person that's made a decision to follow you. God, would you forgive them of their sins, cleanse them of all unrighteousness, as your word promises that you do. You can do that work, but God, they've acknowledged that. And so God, we thank you that you have literally changed the course of their life right now. And I pray that they would give you lordship over their life every day, choosing to trust you. It's not, it's not just this decision, but God, that they would, they would lean into who you are, beginning right now and every day forward for the rest of their lives. And God, I pray for every one of us that lifted our hands to say, I got some work to do. I need to dig some ditches. I'm trusting God to pour out his blessing and to send rain in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, only God can do that. But I need him to show up. And while I wait, I'm going to start digging ditches to receive all that he has for me. God, would you give us the strength to do it? God, help us to be more obedient than we've ever been in our whole lives, to be more faith-filled than we've ever been in our whole lives. God, as we do, would we see you work like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our host to come guest services team to come. They're going to serve you these elements of communion today as we close our time. Worship team's going to lead us in a song here. And as they distribute these elements in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you to hold them in your hand. I'll come back and lead us in communion together. You don't have to be a member of our church today to take communion. We'd love for you just to take if you feel like that's something you want to do. But we invite you to participate in this moment as we reflect and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for communion. Be honored and blessed by what we're doing in obedience now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can distribute these elements. You're worthy of it all.
And from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Let's sing that together. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. One more time, lift it up. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. One more time, let's lift it up. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Great song to set up this moment. He's absolutely worthy of everything that we have, everything that we are. And yet he did the work. That's what we've been talking about. He did the work. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was all that we need for salvation, for healing, for restoration, for forgiveness, to demonstrate his great love for us. And yet what we read in scripture is that he asks us to be obedient in taking these elements often in remembrance of all that he did. So what did he do? What did Jesus do to set us up for this moment? He was obedient to the Father. We go to the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. He was praying in anguish to the Father. And he made this statement. Maybe you've heard it. You've read it hundreds of times before, perhaps some of us, he said, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass me by, let it be so. And then he dug a ditch of obedience. And he said, but not my will, your will be done. And God's will was done. And Jesus went to the cross and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was placed upon him. You and I don't have to pay the ultimate price for our transgressions. He did that. And so today, in obedience, we reflect and remember. But we don't just do it in a moment. My prayer for you and for me is that we carry this moment with us into the rest of this day and into tomorrow 
And we take these elements that we're going to receive here in just a moment, and we allow them to be life transformation, that it really changes the way that we live. Because Jesus said to his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He was broken so that we could be made whole. And wherever there's brokenness in your heart and brokenness in your life, like he already provided for your wholeness today. So walk in that. Walk in the confidence that you have everything that you need from him today. Maybe there's some ditches you've got to dig. Maybe you need some help and some counseling and some relationship and some community. And I encourage you to lean into those things. But the work has been done. So let's take and eat together. Bible says in the same way he took the cup he said this is the blood of the new covenant the new covenant for all of us provides for the atonement the price being paid for our sins the covering for when we fall short and so we don't live in such a way that says well, we've already had the price paid we can do whatever we want the new testament says no 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 we actually live in the opposite way of that we live in honor for the sacrifice that was made. We do our best in obedience and faithfulness to him because of the work that he has completed. And so he gave the cup to his disciples and we are encouraged to do this often in remembrance of the price that was paid for us. Let's take and drink together today. God, I thank you one more time for all that's been done today. I thank you for everything that you've accomplished every song that's been sung, every prayer that's been prayed, every word that's been spoken. I thank you that your word has gone forth today. Let it transform our hearts and our lives. Let us take these elements of communion into ourselves. And it's not just a meal. It is life. Let it impact the way that we live. Tomorrow, we are carriers of the life and the life-giving source of Jesus Christ. When we walk onto our jobs, we walk into those classrooms, God, I pray that we would be the embodiment of all that you are. Let us be fully obedient to you, digging ditches out of obedience to you, trusting that you will do the work that is needed in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.